0: May God bless his word. You may be seated at this time. I absolutely love the way that Luke begins his account. He says, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. You see, it's a new day. It's a a new morning They had been following this man named Jesus who claimed to be God. And they they met this man who claimed that much of their ways were really just living in death and they were not experiencing real life. And they had walked with him and they had loved him and they had listened to him. But now he's dead. He's been killed by the religious and the political authorities of his day. And they think a new era is beginning. They think the era of life without Jesus is now beginning. And they're right, a new era is beginning, but what they thought was going to be just a mundane, depressing day of mourning turns into a day that would change human history more than any other day in all of eternity. I want you to note that women were the first ones to notice the resurrection. The men are hiding, crying, depressed, and whining, and the women are going to the tomb. At least they're being productive in their mourning, amen? Amen. But also notice this, women are going in a group. Because women do everything in a group, right? They go to the bathroom in a group, go to the tomb in a group. They got to roll together. You see, we're born into a world of death. You ever notice that? We walk to the tomb every single day. If you're not walking with Jesus this morning, if you're not a believer, I'm just going to be honest. You can take my words. You can leave my words. It's just my job to deliver the mail. You can open it if you want. It's up to you. That's on you. But if you don't walk with Jesus, every morning when you wake up, you just walk to an empty tomb. Because death is coming. And, And you can live your life and ignore the tough questions of life. And you can do what most people do and they just kind of act like death isn't real and then when it shows up, they act all sad but then they get over it and they don't ever really deal with it. They just kind of forget a little bit more about it until the next person dies or until they die. We're told that death is the end of all things. And the women who approached the tomb on that earth-changing morning believed that death was the end of Jesus. And if Jesus had really not been risen, then they would have been justified in their manner, and we would not be sitting here right now. Many of you would probably not even have been born if it was not for the resurrection. But when they show up to the tomb, they realize he's not there. And I love, and the two men, I believe that those men are angels. And I love what the men say. I love their line. It's summed up into one phrase. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? among the dead. Let me ask you that this morning. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek life in a world where there is death? Why do we constantly go back to the same things that don't satisfy us after they've already previously not satisfied us? Why do you go to that dying sin? Why do you go to that lust? Why why do you go to that jealousy? Why do you go to that covetousness? Why do you go to murder and slander? Has it ever satisfied you before? But we often try and find the living among the dead. And so, what the angels say is Jesus isn't here, He's alive, He is risen. Because let me tell you what happened. Jesus did not die because he was unable to continue living. Jesus laid down his life on his own will and under the will of the Father to pay for our sins. And so when Jesus died to pay the penalty of our sins, he had done it. There was no reason for Jesus to remain dead anymore. I love how Jesus says it in John 10, 18. He says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This is the charge I have received from my Father. And they kept missing this. You see, he kept telling his disciples and his followers that he was going to die. And they kept ignoring it. They kept not thinking about it. The same way we don't like to think about death. We just keep ignoring it. We keep getting told. And we just ignore it. But the beauty of Easter is that the same way he said he was going to die, he said that he was going to rise again. But if you doubt this morning, I want you to be encouraged. Because so did the family of Jesus. So did Jesus' 12 closest friends. Doubting is a part of life, but I want to remind you this morning that just because you doubt, that does not mean that you don't believe. And just because you doubt, that does not necessarily mean that reality has changed. Just because I doubt whether or not my wife loves me has no implication on the reality of whether or not my wife really loves me. And sometimes we don't realize that our, our, our doubt is really just more emotions or, or a tough time in life. Walking with Jesus can be messy sometimes. It can be tough. But Jesus is alive. And he's changed the world forever. But here's the question I want to answer this morning. Why did Jesus rise we've been in a series recently and the series has been titled the why jesus series and we, we asked the question why did jesus come and live and james Yandel preached a great sermon for us and the reason why jesus came and lived is to restore the world and to pay for our sins and then we answered last week why did why did jesus die on the cross and we answered that last week because someone had to die because when we chose sin death entered the world Romans 6 says that the wages of sin is death. And so the illustration I tried to use was trying to choose sin and not choose death It's like trying to choose to jump off of a 300-foot building onto concrete and then not choose death. One is simply the implication of the other. But why did Jesus rise? I want to give you three thoughts this morning. Number one, Jesus rose to deliver us from death Jesus rose to deliver us from death one of the most uh, well-known movies of the 2000s uh, was a movie by the name of the sixth sense you ever seen that raise your hand sixth sense it's a good movie it's a good movie and uh, not only is it the, one of the most well-known movies of the 2000s, it's also got maybe the most recognizable movie line of all of the movies as of recent, when, when the little kid says, I see dead people. You know, he has that famous line that he says. And the thought behind this movie, and if you've never seen it, I'm going to ruin it for you right now. Um, but if you haven't seen it in like 13, 14 years, you're probably not going to be seeing it anytime soon. So. But uh, there's Bruce Willis, and he plays like this psychiatrist who kind of helps kids with issues, Right? And so he's had this one patient, and things didn't go well with him, and he actually got shot, but he recovered from that. And so anyway, he starts working with this kid named Cole, who's the main kid in the movie. And Cole has this issue where he says he sees dead people. And so he's trying to help him work through this because he thinks he's delusional. He doesn't really believe that Cole sees dead people. And so he begins working with him, and by a series of events, eventually Bruce Willis comes to believe that this kid legitimately sees dead people. This is real. And the kid's mom eventually comes to believe as well, through a series of events, that this kid really does see dead people. And the irony of the entire movie, and the reason why it's well known, and the reason why you probably saw it, because it got so popular, is because at the very end, the irony is that Bruce Willis has actually been dead the whole time. He actually died at the very beginning of the movie. And as he's working with this kid, the reason why this kid who sees dead people can see him is because Bruce Willis is dead. And when I was 14, I had a kind of a similar experience. Because when you become a Christian, it's like, are you telling me I've been dead this whole time? And we're born into this world, and we're born literally into death from the very beginning. It's not like I had life, but then I found death. No, no, no. You were born into this world, and then you assumed the sin of our forefathers and their forefathers, and we sin ourselves. And so you're literally born not living. That was the irony of what Jesus was saying is is that the disciples thought they were living and he's like, look, you're not living. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly because you don't currently have life. And some of you, I hate to break it to you this morning, you're dead and you don't even know it because you're depressed and you feel you live a meaningless existence and you feel like there's not a God who loves you You say, well, what do you mean? I I am living. I've I've got a beating heart and blood running through my veins and I I can think. We set the bar so low, don't we? Just because you can talk, you're living. Is that all it's about? Is all life about just having a beating heart? Why do we long for something more? Because we lost it. And we entered death. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter two. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Go on, he says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, so we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him. Jesus rose to deliver us from death. And maybe this morning you're going to have a Bruce Willis Sixth Sense moment. Where you're like, I've been dead this whole time? And I think resurrection can be hard to understand because we're so used to death that there is this cold, haunting feeling of death. But Jesus is alive. He's risen. And you can have that. You can have meaning and you can have purpose and and, and you can not only sit here and look at the resurrection of Jesus, the Bible says that when we trust in him, we literally experience resurrection ourselves. We're going to have a baptism at the end of this service, and what that essentially says is, I've been raised to new life with Jesus because I was once dead, but now I'm living. And so Jesus rose to deliver us from death. Number two, Jesus rose because we were created to live an amazing life. This is my favorite point. So Jesus died to pay for our sins, Right? He died to pay for our sins on the cross. And and that's great, right? And and, and we were dead in ourselves. We couldn't do it. We were stuck, and Jesus comes and dies on the cross and pays the penalty of our sins. So if we believe in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. But here's the question. Now what, right? Because the second that your sins are paid, you're now back in neutral. When, When your sins are paid, now you're just not guilty anymore. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're living, okay? Your sins are paid, And I think what we say is, well, I'm I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. I've been forgiven of all my sins. And that's great. But why were you saved? What was the point? Why did God not want you to be in sin? Why did God not want you to be guilty? Why did God not want you to be separated from him forever? Yes, he did that to bring you back. But what is the next step? The next step is resurrection. And you were created to live an absolutely amazing life, honoring and glorifying God for all of eternity. That is why you were created. And Jesus rose because he paid the penalty for your sin, but now he wants you to bring you, now that you're able to approach God because you're sinless in in Christ Jesus, now he wants you to come into a new life with Jesus. You're not just saved to be neutral with God. You're not just saved to not wrong God. You're saved to live an amazing life glorifying him forever when i was eight years old um had a birthday party and it was a slumber party of course because what you do when you're eight years old is you have a slumber party with all your guy friends and um i got the greatest gift that you can get when you're eight years old when you're eight years old and you like sports the greatest gift you can ever get is baseball cards okay who here likes baseball cards they're not as popular. I, I feel that most people aren't as into baseball cards anymore. But when I was eight years old, I was really into baseball cards. And uh, one of the gifts that, that some of my friends got me and some of my family got me was they all teamed up and they got me like all these baseball cards. And so I was on cloud nine, right? I was the birthday boy, all these birthday cards, it, our baseball cards was awesome. Anyway, so uh, the next day, the slumber party was over and everybody was leaving. And of course, my best friend was the last guy that was still there with me. So we're hanging out. And uh, his dad shows up to get him, and he realizes that he forgot something up in my room, so he runs up to grab it. And I followed him up the stairs, and when I was walking in, he was coming out the door, and so I kind of moved, and he moved, and so we wouldn't hit each other. And he brushed his body up on the side of the door, and out of his pants falls, like, all of my baseball cards. Like, it was almost like a movie, like, like falling out. Like, I'm like, like, what are you doing? I'm like, eight years old, what are you doing? And he just runs off and gets in the car and, like, drives off, right? And I was like, are, are you kidding me? And so the very next day, when you're eight years old, it stinks because you go to school with these people, right? So you can't just get away, you can't just not be around them. You're stuck. And so I stood up the next day, and it was all—it was all there was like drama. and we We're all mad at each other, and all of our friends are taking sides, and you know, you, you know, whatever. Anyway, so then recess came, right? And recess will make or break friendships when you're at that age. right? recess will make or break a friendship. You probably have had some of your greatest memories on the recess area, and some of the worst memories. And so we're at recess. And um, we're in line to play kickball. And I said, man, why'd you steal my stuff? He said, man, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to. I got tempted. That was a really cool gift. He was like, I have my favorite player in there, King Griffey Jr. I mean, I, 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 I'm sorry. I just, I really wanted these baseball cards. And he was like, but please forgive me. Because he goes, because I want to start playing with you again. I miss coming over to your house. I miss doing all these things. And he began to give me all these reasons. Like, he didn't just say forgive me. He said, please forgive me because I miss hanging out with you. I thought that was sweet. Made me feel good, you know? But it was funny because, and I did forgive him, and he's still a good friend of mine to this day. We, we didn't end it right there. But when you forgive somebody, you don't just forgive them because you've been wrong. You forgive them to restore something that you once had. You you know, when you forgive in marriage, you don't just forgive because you're, necessarily because you're just supposed to. The real reason why you forgive is so you could enter into what you used to have with that person. Forgiveness isn't just a neutral thing. It's not just a catch-up thing. The reason why you forgive, the reason why you have a blank slate is so that you can begin to experience something that you lost, and when Jesus rose from the grave, yes, he was showing his power. And, and yes, he was conquering death. And, and yes, he had just paid the penalty for your sins. But if you stop at the death of Jesus, you're just even with God. But when Jesus rises again, we now get to start over and begin the life that we were intended to live all along. You see, Jesus rose Because we were supposed to follow him into an amazing existence. We weren't just created to be neutral with God. And maybe that's where you're at this morning, is is you're just neutral with him. You believe, and, and, and you believe that Jesus has died for your sins, but you're not experiencing the resurrection in your life. You're not conquering the sin in your life. You're you're not really growing in your purpose. You're not growing in your walk with the Lord. You understand the atonement, but you're not really understanding the resurrection. The resurrection is not just a detail in our lives. It's the basis for new life. And the final reason is this. Jesus rose so we would not have to fear death. Jesus rose so we would not have to fear death. Raise your hand if you're a little bit scared of death. Okay. I mean, not like you're totally scared, but it's a little odd. Raise your hand. Come on. All right. The number one fear they say amongst all humans, and this isn't some, you know, earth-breaking news, right, is Death. The number one fear, and we joke about cockroaches, and we joke about spiders, and we joke about heights, which I'm afraid of heights. I'm afraid of all those things, actually. We joke about that. But the real, one thing that humans oftentimes really, really fear is death. And, and while we, and I, I think sometimes we get too spiritual about it. Like, we act like, I'm not afraid of it at all, you know? You're a little scared. You have hope in your death. You have hope and you know what's going on, but anything that you haven't experienced, it's a little bit tough, right? Like it's kind of, because you think, well, then if I'm gonna die, what's that, what's that mean? I, I get a disease or I fall off a building or, you know, like, like how that happens is scary. Death is a really scary thing. But Jesus rose so we would not have to fear death, or I think a better way to say it is so that we would have hope in our death. I'm about to tell you the most embarrassing thing about me that I've almost never told anybody. I don't even think my family knows this. And I probably shouldn't have chosen Easter to tell the most embarrassing story. And the thing I'm, one of the things I'm most ashamed of in my entire life, but um, it just fit really well, so I had to go with it this morning. It was a perfect illustration. Um, when I was 17 years old, I um, was a senior in high school, and my family was away, it was like a Saturday night, um, I was actually, I, was, I think I was playing guitar here in like the church band, and so it was like the night before, and we had practiced earlier in the morning, um, but it was the night before that, and uh, my family was gone, I had the house to myself, and it was one of the first times I'd ever had the house to myself at night, and I'd been hanging out with some friends, and I was on my way back to the house, and I began to feel this pain in my arm, Right? And I did what you should never do. I began Googling it when I got home as to what this pain in my arm could be. And this is a true story. This is super embarrassing. And so I I began looking up online, and I was like, what what could a pain in my upper right arm, what could that mean, you know? And I started seeing, like, one of the things that it could be is, like, it's a precursor to a heart attack sometimes. And so I'm like, well, you know, my chest is a little bit tight, you know? I mean, now that I think about it, I mean, I, I, I feel some pressure in my chest. And so I kept looking and, I, and I, I tried to ignore it, but the pain, I mean, it was just random and it was sharp and I was, then I started feeling this tightness in my chest and I kept reading online and YouTube and videos and, and literally I was like, like my, my chest begins to start hurting more and more and more and I feel this pounding in my chest and then I get freaked out. This is what I did. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm home by myself. Like if something happens, nobody's here what am I going to do? So I go downstairs and I grab my phone. I try to call my family. Of course, they don't pick up. That was back before we had really good cell phones. And so it was kind of like hit or miss. So anyway, no one's picking up the phone. It's like midnight at night. I, th- I think I might be having an actual heart attack. Okay, I think it's coming, right? And so I start getting my, my heart's hurting more and more. And I'm really getting scared. I'm really, really getting freaked out. And I'm like, I, I think this might be legitimate. So in order to just in case I were to have a heart attack and faint, I decided to get my phone and go stand outside. Because at least if I faint, maybe someone will see me lying outside at midnight, right? And so I'm out there literally in my boxers and my T-shirt with a phone in my hand, panicked because I think I'm having a heart attack. Actual true story. And let me tell you the hardest part about it was it got so bad, I literally called 911. 17 years old, perfectly healthy, I got myself freaked out, I haven't told anybody this, I think I'm having a heart attack, and so I call 911, and the operator picks up, 911 emergency, how can I help you? And the hardest part about it was when I literally heard myself saying, I think I'm having a heart attack, I think I'm having a heart attack, please come get me. And look, hey, well, where are you at? So I told them my address, and they came over, and literally the second that I said, I think I'm having a heart attack, I felt this pain in my, I, I, I thought it was beginning, okay, and I felt it, and I was like, oh, this is it, <laughs> and how, no one's around, this is it, I'm 17, I'm not even married, I've, I've never even got to college, all this, I'm not going to make it to band practice in the morning, like, this is it, and they're going to find me in the front of my house in my boxers, thinking, what happened to this guy, I'm like, I think I'm having a heart attack. And so literally they send two ambulances down my cul-de-sac street at midnight. They come. I'm pretty much in my underwear outside. And they pull up. And the guys are trying to be really nice about it. But they're like, is everything okay? I'm like, I think I'm having a heart attack. And they're like, you wouldn't have been able to pronounce that as well if you were having a legitimate heart attack. <laughs> And, and they were like, well, well, what's wrong? I was like, did you, did you, are, you, are you doing anything? And eventually one of the guys, he goes, be honest, are you on drugs? I was like, no, I'm not on drugs. <laughs> they thought I was on drugs. And that was the one moment in my life I literally thought I was going to die. I know it sounds funny, but like, I literally thought I was going to die. I thought that was the end. And, and you said, well, that wasn't true. You had no reason to believe that. It was a false, false alarm. But in my mind, I thought, it, I thought that was it. And, and the resurrection of Jesus makes it to where that is not it. The sad thing is that we fear death. And, and we spend all this time fearing something that shouldn't have to be feared. You ever worried about something that never happened and I say like 90% of the things that you stress out about never happen in reality. you just worried about it a lot. Jesus rose so we would not have to fear death. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that if Christ has not been raised, we have no hope in death. But since Christ has been raised, we have much hope in death. I want to close with this thought and close with this idea. We talk a lot about following Jesus. We say that sentence a lot. I want to follow Jesus and follow Jesus. And we think that oftentimes what following Jesus is, is like following his morality. We follow his morality. We follow his teaching. Uh, you know, we, we, we follow him in pain and persecution in the world. We follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. And, and we don't ever really seem to talk about the that We follow Jesus in the resurrection, Like, Jesus was literally saying, look, if you follow me, you will follow me through resurrection. You will die one day, and for those who are in Christ Jesus, in the last days when Christ returns, you will be raised. The resurrection is not just something that we look at and, oh, that's so wonderful, it's so special. It is special, but it's really special because we're going there too with Jesus because God loves us. Following Jesus also means that we follow him in the resurrection. We don't just imitate his morality, we literally imitate his resurrection. And the modern person says, I don't believe that. That, That's what people used to think. That's what people used to cling to. My question is, well, why do we still hope for it then? Most of the things that you long for, there is a fulfillment. In fact, it's a common saying by C.S. Lewis, the idea was essentially that, look, when when you desire something, that's proof that there is a fulfillment. And I'm going to guess that every single one of you in here, you don't want to die. You want to live forever. You want to live forever, and you want to live in perfection. And the way that we can know that, because Jesus said in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that when we come to Him, we find the way, we find truth, and we find eternal life. Today, as we celebrate Easter, I want us to literally follow Jesus into the resurrection. If you don't know if you're a believer this morning, if you're not sure, and you're like, I've heard this, and I kind of like Jesus, scripture says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that what? That God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. I want to offer that to you this morning you're not a Christian. I want to offer you eternal life in Jesus. I want to offer you perfection. I want to offer you victory. I want to offer you resurrection. And it's as simple as saying, God, just praying out to God, God, I I, I hear Jesus has died for me. I confess my sins to you. I know I'm a sinner. That's obvious. I just pray that in the power of Jesus that you would forgive me and that I would begin to walk with you. And if you really say that and you really believe that and you really begin following Jesus... You will experience resurrection on the last days. And you will not die. You will simply fall asleep in a few years and waiting for eternity. Let's pray. God, I thank you for overcoming the grave. I thank you for the hope that's in the Bible. I thank you that, uh, God, even something as small as a new building just just reminds us, God, that things don't have to remain dead. Broken things don't have to remain broken in your power. And I pray that in this moment, if there's anybody in this room who doesn't know you, I pray today would be the day but they know that they will never have to die. I pray we'd put aside our modern arrogance, God, that we think we're so much smarter than everybody else. We're still sinful people who need a savior. And God, we know that death is coming. We know it's on its way. And I pray we'd find hope in you this morning. I pray that every person in this room would experience resurrection. I pray it wouldn't just be something we look at and think, oh, that's nice. I pray we'd be a part of it. I love you, God. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray, amen. We're gonna sing a song and if you need prayer this morning or you need to talk to somebody about Jesus, we'll have people up here at the front waiting for you. But stand with us as we sing.